Well, let, let me ask you, Arthur. So do you remember ever causing your parents any heartache around this time in your life? Well, I got kicked out of college when I was... There you go. Yeah, for sure. And I went on the road as a professional musician through all my 20s, which my parents called my gap decade. So, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about how to help your adult kids grow up. My name is Arthur Brooks. I'm a professor at Harvard University where I teach classes on happiness, on the science of happiness. And that's what I write about for The Atlantic as well, a column called How to Build a Life. So when we left you last week, our expert Arthur was telling us all about his middle son's misadventure in Las Vegas. One month ago, uh, my son, who's a, he's a special ops guy in the U.S. Marine Corps, my middle son, he's 22. And he said, Dad, I'm going to Las Vegas with my friends for the weekend. I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> red flag, red flag. Yeah, I know. But when I don't <laughs> hear from my son, it means all is well. And so okay. I didn't hear until 9 p.m. on Sunday night. And the phone rings. And it's a call coming to myself from from a Russian cell phone number. And I'm thinking, that's, oh, that's you know, I, and he answers. His name is Carlos. And Carlos says, hi, Dad, this isn't my phone, in a statement of the obvious. And, and then it went on to this tale of just Dickensian, you know, intricacy <laughs> that start, that that was about someone stole my pants. And that's how it starts, oh, right? Yeah. And I'm on this. I'm on the Las Vegas Strip without a phone. I'm borrowing a cell phone, evidently from a Russian. Um, I don't have any ID, and I have to be in California eight hours from now because I'm the color guard in the Memorial Day Parade. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and then came the ask. Dad, do you know a senator in Nevada who can help me take care of this? Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wait, let me just, can I pause? There's so many questions, but I just want to ask, how would finding a senator have helped? Well, that's not entirely clear. That was his concept. <laughs> and, and instead, you know, I got his 24-year-old brother to figure out how to solve the problem by connecting him to his friends on social media. And meanwhile, the local constabulary had had found the miscreant who had made off with his pants and all wound up being well. But the point <laughs> is, I didn't do the thing he wanted me to do. I figured out a way for him to basically solve the problem, which was a lot more work. <laughs> it was a lot right. more work. It would have been a lot easier for me, quite frankly, and cost-effective and emotionally effective for me to just figure out how to bail him out right then and there. So today on our show, how to not bail out your kid. Our listener Karen has two adult children, a daughter who's 23 and a son who's 21. And though she hasn't had to deal with a pantless kid in Las Vegas just yet, she has been called in to manage chaos many, many times. Here's what she wrote to us when she initially reached out to the how-to hotline. My husband and I are able to play tag team when something bad happens, like a failed test or a fender bender or a blow up at school or a job that someone decides they can't take and walk out on. But it always ends up being so much emotional drain for both of us. It's gotten to the point where my stomach sinks sometimes when I see a text or phone call from one of our kids. Are they okay? Are they happy? I don't want it to be like this. We want to be able to enjoy the empty nest. So how do we get our kids to tackle their own problems when the stakes are so high? Or how do we at least divorce ourselves a little bit from the extreme emotional investment? 
or <laughs> is it just always going to be like this? Is this part of being a parent? Like I'll be 80 and still worried sick about them. We need help. Last week, Arthur gave us some great advice for resetting the relationship so your kids don't treat you like an emotional ATM machine. Today, he's going to help Karen figure out how to balance the books, so to speak, by taking some withdrawals of her own. Don't go anywhere. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? Well, not if you lose your pants and call your dad for help. Because then your dad might go on a podcast like this one and tell the story. (laughs) So how would you react in that situation? Arthur said he started with a little self-talk. So I started off by saying, yeah, well, I'm going to figure out how to get him a boatload of cash. Right. And, you right. know, and, and then, then we'll figure out from there how without um, ID he can actually get back to California and onto his base. But, you know, we'll take a step by step. And, and with money, you can do almost anything. And I've got money and, you know, he's clever. So we'll be able to solve this thing together. Problem solved. Right? Yeah. Right. Well, problem solved, but not really. Because right. <laughs> then it's just the next problem and the next problem and the next problem. And so right. I talk, you know, we, I hung up briefly and I talked about it with my wife. So you were like, let me call you back. Let yeah. me call you back. Well, I couldn't call him back because the Russian. You know, oh, right. Yeah. right. <laughs> so, so I said, call me back. And, and, uh, and, and we talked about it. But you paused. It. You yeah. paused uh-huh. and discussed it. That's Ooh, this is a good tip. That's the thing to do. It's always the thing to do because when you're in what we call a hot hedonic state, you always go back to your baseline solutions. That's always what you do. Absolutely. You, you have a playbook. Karen and Arthur and, and Amanda, we all have playbooks that are in our mm-hmm. heads. And when you're in a hot mm-hmm. hedonic state, you will go to that playbook immediately. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that if you're in a position where you're in a situation that you don't like, which Karen didn't doesn't like. And, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't like it if I went to my natural, this, I'm going to send him five, five grand or whatever it takes. Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to get that thing done right now. So what you have to do is you have to pause the mental process. You have to stop. Mm-hmm. You have to punctuate the equilibrium so that you can start using your prefrontal cortex instead of just the limbic system of your brain. And that's what we did. This is where a tip from last week comes to mind. It's critical to be on the same page as your partner when situations like this arise. You can then help each other pause, take a deep breath, remind each other that the best way to help your kid may be to do less than you want to. So if you want to make this shift, double check your partner is on board in advance, or at least get them to listen to this podcast. And you talked about it. How did that conversation go? We brought his older brother into it. His older brother lives with us because he's his older brother is 24 and now a week away from getting married. Um, so he's in a different, really oh, different nice. place in his life. And we brought him into the conversation. And he said, what do, you, what, what do you think we should do? And we had a family powwow about what's the best thing to do here to solve the, help solve the problem while making sure that we're not doing the wrong thing for Carlos. And he said, well, I think the right thing to do is to connect him to his friends, and I think I know how to do it. You know, always bring in a 24-year-old because they're very savvy in ways that we're not. Right, think of options we wouldn't even think of. Yeah, and this is actually one of the things that I strongly recommend to aging parents of adult children is always turn the tables. Always actually get help from them. Don't solve the problems yourself. If you don't like being an ATM machine, turn off the ATM machine and become a joint problem-solving machine. So Mm -hmm. go to the other child and say, what should we do, for example? Or go to the child herself 
and say, I have a problem. What do you think I should do? Such mm-hmm. that we start having joint metacognition, even with the people that have been that have been the recipients, the takers all this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The relationship fundamentally alters under these circumstances. And they don't see you in the same way. Plus, you come up with the kinds of results that you like better and that are more satisfying and more enduring. And everybody learns. So you're, mm-hmm. you're trying to kind of rebalance the dynamics. So we help each other. We're not just, it's not a one-way street, um, which makes a ton of sense. Um, And in this case, you kind of did this huddle with his brother and your wife, and he said, I have an idea. And you knew that, that this would help, but was like short of bailing him out. So that felt right? It felt right and it felt enduring that he would learn from it. And it's a much better solution. It actually was going to lead to a solution because, you know, sending a bunch of cash isn't that great to begin with. So, yeah, and the other thing that's related to this that that I recommend to everybody, and it's based on most of the good social psychological literature, but also common sense, is that at least half the time, Karen, I'd be calling your kids and asking for their advice. Mm -hmm. Ask them for more advice. It'll freak them out at first. Mm. They'll be laying awake (laughs) nights going, what is going on? You know? (laughs) Are mom and dad getting a divorce? What's happening here? Does mom have cancer? I mean, who knows what they're going to be thinking. But once they start to think of themselves as problem solvers, they're going to grow up fast. Here's our next tip. Assuming your kids are grown or almost grown, it's time to turn the tables. Next time you're struggling with something in your own life, maybe a flat tire, maybe a rough day at work, try leaning on them for help instead of the other way around. I love this idea. Karen, do do you ever do that? I I do too. And actually, I've done a little bit of this only because I came at it from a slightly different angle. I was mostly just trying to convince my kids or remind them that I'm not a superhero, that I'm just a person Mm. too. Mm. And so um, actually it was one of those days where I had had just a bad day. I'd written this book proposal and my agent just had all this feedback that made my stomach hurt and kind of made me want to cry. And, um, I felt defeated and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I knew my daughter wasn't working that day. And so I called her Hmm. and, uh, you know, just said, I just need somebody to talk to because I'm not having a great day. I do think it caught her a little off guard. How did she react? She, she listened to me and she, you know, did a lot of the things that I would have done. I'm curious, what what did she say? She, or? she was mostly just like, you know, gave me a pep talk, you know, yeah, mom, yeah. you're awesome. And you just need to take a couple of days off and then, you know, start over and huh. it'll be fine. And all the things that <laughs> I would have said to her, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. She learns how to give advice from you for sure. Yeah. But right. it's also worth uh, getting getting your kids into a space where they have more practice at that. Um, by, okay. by, by bringing real life goals to them. For example, you say, mm-hmm. dad and I are thinking of moving to a place where we're going to want to be when we're retired. And we don't know where to go. How would you, not where should we go, how would you think about this problem mm-hmm. to your kids and have them ah. think through the problem with you? When I was thinking mm-hmm. of it, I retired as a CEO several years ago before I went on to this, this current part of my career as a, a, you know, in academia. And I talked to my kids about it. Should I do this? Why should, Why do you think I should do this? Uh, you know, what's the upside of doing this? What's the downside of doing this? And really making them think through that with me because, and it's not, and I'm not, you know, I didn't, I wasn't faking it. 
you get all kinds of good advice from your kids. You get a fresh perspective from your kids. But if you never mm-hmm. ask this, then it's going to be a one-way valve. Now, by the way, there are a lot of people who who have really emotionally needy parents, and there it's an ATM machine going in the other direction. Mm-hmm. So you have, yeah, yeah, so you find, for example, families that are broken up and the kids have grown up only with mom, and mom has been kind of the emotional take her for her kids. And so you have mm-hmm. to run this thing in the opposite direction. There are also lots of cases that I have with my students where they say, you know, I want to stop being, you know, treating mom like an emotional ATM machine, but that's all she wants to be. That's mm-hmm. all she ever wants to do is to give me advice. And so I have to give these people other techniques and start taking, you know, interest and in asking them questions about their lives and start mm-hmm. probing and, you know, and, and getting involved in the things that are their hobbies, for example, and then and then asking them about those particular hobbies. And so there are ways to do this, but the bottom line is you need a bilateral relationship. You, you, you're you in a unilateral situation and you want a bilateral situation because it's healthier and better for everybody. This whole idea of rebalancing your relationship doesn't need to be limited to parent-child relationships either. When you think about it, you could use this in any unbalanced relationship with friends or coworkers, who knows? Okay, so we're gonna take another quick break, but when we come back, we're gonna start to teach parents how to not just act like they care what their kids think, but actually care and respect their kids as adults. We're back with our listener, Karen, and our expert, Arthur Brooks. So just over half of mothers say they have mixed feelings or some sort of ambivalence about their relationship with their adult children, as Arthur has written in The Atlantic. And that kind of ambivalence can slowly eat away at a relationship without the adult child even knowing about it. You mentioned earlier, Arthur, that a lot of times kids have no idea about their mother's ambivalence. Um, Right. Is it helpful to tell them in some way, or is that just a little much? Well, it's it's usually not helpful in a in, in sort of any relationship to say, I, you know, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I got to tell you, you're not, you're not, you know, it's like I, I know you think I'm crazy. I, I just about want you, you to but, know I have yeah. mixed feelings yeah. about this relationship. I have, I have very mixed feelings about you. You know, it's like. <laughs> You know, I, I know I, I have to love you, but let's be honest, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not, yeah, not right. going to take, take it right. It's hard know? to know where to go. Yeah, there. it's hard to know where to go with that. And, you know, the truth is that they're going to learn soon enough because presumably your kids are going to have kids. And at some point, you know, <laughs> when you're dead, they'll be saying, oh, mom, oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's your revenge, by the way. But right. in, the, in, the, <laughs> in the meantime, I mean, work for this give and take. And the way to do it is to not just give, but also asking them to give too. But this is the most generous thing you can possibly do. Now, one of the reasons that this is a really hard thing to do is because of old ingrained patterns. The second is this other really weird phenomenon you find between parents and kids, which is that a lot of parents have trouble respecting their children as adults. And I see this a lot because I work with family businesses and, mm-hmm. and a lot of people, you know, people don't like, like shirt sleeves to prosperity, like the founders, and they see their kids as kind of wastrels as, mm. you know, just not as tough as they were. I used to walk to school in the snow 20 miles. And so the result of that is um, that I see this a lot today is that people, a lot of people our age, they don't have enough respect for their kids to ask them for advice and to ask them for help and to create a a bilateral relationship. They don't like, they resent the unilateral relationship, 
But the problem, the hitch, is in the respect that they need to give their own kids to establish a bilateral relationship. That's worth thinking about and talking about with your husband. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking right now just about, like, little things that I can do. Because I feel like it's not just about, you know, the days when we're having a problem. <laughs> it's about every day, right? I mean, especially if I'm going to slowly train myself to handle this differently and train them to handle things better. And the idea of creating a bilateral relationship, it's things like, so our daughter just moved back. She was living an hour away from us. Now she's about 20 minutes away. And so we see her a lot more, you know, and, and we'll invite her, you know, do you want to go get dinner? Do you want to come over? Do you want to, you know, go get a drink, whatever. But you know, it's funny, like when I invite her over, I always, of course, cook everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just little things like I should say to her, can you bring a bottle of wine? Things like that, where I, I guess I feel like it's the little messages. And maybe that's just getting my brain to the, the act of practicing, you know, trying to put us on a more level playing field and showing her that, you know, I expect her to participate in a way that isn't just like she's the kid and I'm the mom. You got it. You got it. I mean, this is this is the big breakthrough, Karen. Um, okay. <laughs> this is the. I mean, this is you. Absolutely got it. We've. I think we've gotten to the bottom of the real problem. Is not that she's exhausting you. The real mm -hmm. problem is that you're the giver and she's the taker. Right. Too much. It reminds empathy. me, Arthur. Haven't you written in the past about um, suggesting that parents? Ask the kid to host, uh, you know, a holiday dinner. Yep. Flip the script, right? Totally. Wow. That's that's all. It's what we're talking about. I mean, this is exactly the same thing. You know, I mean, you should be calling her when you have a flat tire. It's, yeah. I mean, she, I mean, you she's should get young. a flat tire. Totally. Like, put a nail out on your driveway. It's true. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like it's interesting. You know, when my son, my son's coming back. He's the best man in his brother's wedding. My son, the Marine, he's coming back next week. I've got like three pieces of gym equipment sitting in boxes. I need him to set up. Why? Because he's much better at that than I am. He's much better at that. He has good manual knowledge. He can rotate objects in space inside his mind. He's got, he's fantastic, right? Mm. So I'm just not going to do the stuff that he's better at. And I say, Carlos, I need you to do this stuff for me. He's like, oh, okay, cool. I, I don't, this is this, great. Yeah, for yeah, sure. You just make sure you have some extra pairs of pants for that wedding yeah. because we don't know. <laughs> we don't. <laughs> Um, and it reminds me of how, like, I really don't like to cook. I'm kind of an anxious cook. I, I do it all the time, but I don't enjoy it. Guess what? My 15-year-old kid loves to cook, and he's good at it, and he's relaxed. Yeah. And increasingly, I'm just like, you know what? I'll go get the food. You cook it. Mm -hmm. And just let them, you know, part of me used to feel bad. Like, I'm the mom. I'm supposed to cook. But, like, who is that serving? Like, he can feel the tension in the air, you know, when I'm cooking. Why not just let him do it to your point, Arthur. I love that idea. I wonder, yeah. Karen, is there any holiday or family gathering or birthday coming up that you could imagine asking your daughter if she feels like hosting? Well, so it's funny. So we're all heavily into Formula One in our household. Nice. So we usually have Formula One brunch on Sundays when there is a race. Awesome. So we have a, actually a brunch this Sunday. So, um, and I was wondering to myself this afternoon, what what were we going to have to eat? Uh -huh. So maybe I just need to ask her to be in charge. Huh. Love it. Do yeah. you ever ask her opinions? So now that my daughter has her cosmetology license, you know, like I, I 
did ask her, like, am I using the wrong shampoo? Am I doing this wrong? What should I be? Hmm. You know, and she cuts my hair now and she... Oh, that's cool. All that kind of stuff, which actually is pretty amazing. When the first time I was sitting in the chair and she was doing it, I was... It was... Yeah, how'd that feel? Yeah, because actually, especially for a woman, (laughs) letting someone cut your hair is a big deal. (laughs) Right, you and know? you can't fire her. Like no, yeah. I cannot fire her. So I was, I That's was. That's a high yeah, stakes was, move, Karen. I'm impressed. I know it was. So here's our next insight. If you want to interrupt the usual parent kid dynamics, you're gonna have to make yourself a little uncomfortable in the beginning and take some risk. Maybe with your hair, or maybe your Thanksgiving dinner. And of course, if it doesn't work out perfectly, like say they don't cook it the way you would you got to let it go. Let them persuade you on something. I have very different political views than my kids. A lot of people mm-hmm. do. A lot of people do. Mm-hmm. You know, because they, mm-hmm. they rebel. You know, so they're, you know, my, my, all three of my kids are more conservative politically than I am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so you know, I'll throw out a topic and I'm like, fight me. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and if they're right, they're right. Because sometimes mm-hmm. they're right. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of, you know it's, I, I know a lot, but I, know, I mean, my oldest son, he really knows a lot. I mean, he knows mm-hmm. a lot. And so mm-hmm. the result is that sometimes he does, when he has a good point, I'm like, wow, good point. That'll blow their minds. That'll mm-hmm. blow their minds. I mean, that's like when, when the parents on something like ideology say, huh, never thought about it that way. I think you might have mm-hmm. convinced me. I mean, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll rock their world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I've definitely, I've learned a lot from my kids, you know, and, and I think... Yeah. That that is important, not only just for your own survival as an adult, because otherwise you're navigating the world not with the most current information. But for the relationship too, yeah. Right. right. It balances yeah. it rebalances it. Like you're always resetting as a in a relationship, right? As you evolve and especially with kids. No, I mean, Arthur, you've given me a lot to think about. A lot of things that are actionable, which I appreciate, and things that I think will come pretty naturally for me. And hopefully I can get into the habit of doing those things and trying to even things out a little bit. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, it's like, it seems to me that the key issue, like this is always the case in happiness problems and in in problems of human dynamics and relationships. They're generally speaking, when it's hard to find a solution is because something's wrong with the assumptions and we're therefore defining the wrong problem. Mm-hmm. That, so it's not that we don't have an answer to the problem. We have the wrong question. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. this is the secret in life to solving problems is starting with the right, with the right question as opposed to giving a solution to the wrong problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, like, I think it is very vulnerable to, like you said earlier, like you always wonder, where did I go wrong when mm-hmm. our kids are struggling? And um, I think if more of us asked each other for help like this, you know, we would go wrong less often. Because mm-hmm. my worst moments as a parent are when I feel embarrassed that I've gone wrong. Uh, and I do, I make bad decisions <laughs> in that mindset <laughs> uh, when I'm embarrassed about my own parenting. And instead, you're, you're reaching out and we're all, we can all relate. And so I just want to appreciate that. Um, and meanwhile, Arthur, you're on the cusp of resetting one of your own relationships. How, how exciting? How do you feel going into this wedding i can't wait to get a new kid yeah <laughs> yeah i mean I, if i had created a daughter-in-law in the laboratory 
uh, it would have been her. Aww. I mean, she's oh, I mean, she's nice. fantastic, and she completes my son, and they're in love with each other, and and um, huh. and I don't ask for much besides eleven grandkids. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again to Karen for opening up about this, and to Arthur Brooks for all of his advice. You can catch more of his happiness research in his column in The Atlantic. Okay, my friends, I got a question for you. Do you ever find yourself avoiding the news because it's so depressing or enraging? Well, You're definitely not alone, first of all. A new Reuters study found that 42% of Americans sometimes or often avoid the news, a number that's been going up and up. So here at How To, we're working on a special episode about how we could fix the news to make it more useful and less paralyzing. And as always, we want to include your voices. So would you do us a favor and just Leave us a quick voicemail, like right now. (laughs) You don't have to leave your name if you don't want. We just want to know, how does the news make you feel these days? Do you find yourself having to limit your exposure? And how do you wish it made you feel? Leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might play it on the air in an upcoming episode. Again, that's 646-495-4001. We can't wait to hear what you think. And what about the rest of you? Have you lost your pants? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we might have you on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a rating and a review and tell a friend. That helps us help more people. You can subscribe to How To on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show with help from Katie Shepard. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.